Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. I hope wherever you're tuning in from today, you are safe, healthy, and sound. Today, I have an awesome guest that I'm incredibly excited to be talking to today. Matt Cooper is the CEO of Skillshare, the online e-learning platform for creatives. He believes that learning is transformative individually, socially, and economically. He believes in connecting lifelong learners everywhere and building a more creative and prosperous world. Before joining Skillshare, he was the CEO of Visually, an online marketplace for creative work that was acquired by Scribble Live in January 2016. Prior to Visually, he was the VP of Operations, Enterprise, and International for Odesk, which is now referred to as Upwork, the world's largest marketplace for online work. Overall, he's a radical and abundant entrepreneur, and he's incredibly active on LinkedIn, and is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to entrepreneurship, leadership, and building startups that scale. And today, I'm going to be really talking with him about the future of work, e-learning, as well as Skillshare, and really picking his brain on his background and how awesome and all the awesome things that he's done. So without further ado, I would love to bring Matt on the show. Hey, Matt. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Thank you for being a part of our show today. I want to show love quickly to all of the awesome people tuning in. Please comment below where you're tuning in from. I know we usually have guests from Nigeria, the UK, and Oakland, which is my hometown. So, Matt, you know, I would love I, I, to. I, I didn't realize you're from Oakland. Where uh, Where are you in Oakland? Yeah, so oh, so I actually live in the West Oakland area. Okay, yeah, I, we uh, we lived in Montclair for uh, for seven years, I think. So just yeah. moved wow. back to uh, the East Coast. So, yep, I know the area well. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I love Oakland, man. It's beautiful. So, you know, man, I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about how you got your start in tech because you work for a variety of different companies. Yeah, so I uh, started my career in investment banking. Uh, I was with uh, J.P. Morgan doing telecom media technology banking for four years. Um, 2002, after uh, several years of, you know, 80-hour weeks, I decided I wanted to do something else. Uh, moved out to my moved out to California with my then girlfriend now wife, um, and being an unemployed telecom investment banker in Silicon <laughs> Valley in 2002 was not exactly the best place to be. So um, I ended up uh, just sort of during the depths of my unemployment, uh, met a guy through networking via Craigslist. If that gives you any hint of how bad things <laughs> have gotten, uh, and we started doing some consulting for startups, and I did that for. I guess a little over a year, uh, year and a half, uh, and then ended up joining one of our customers, uh, which was my first real um, startup experience. So I joined the CEO. He was uh, trying to get a company up and running that uh, would outsource the internal recruiting function for um, a lot of venture-backed companies in the Bay Area. So that was kind of my first true uh, startup role. Uh, we had a great run, and then the mortgage crisis hit in 2008, and all of a sudden, selling recruiting services to venture back startups in the Bay area was not such a great place to be. And then wow. uh, moved on to Upwork or then Odesk and uh, things kind of took off from there. Man, that's powerful. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, you kind of, you mentioned how, you know, you, you worked with, with a variety of different startups and, you know, markets are up and down, right? Like things, you know, there's an opportunity to build a business and, 
you know, then it might fail or it gets rocky. You know, how do you think COVID-19 has fast-tracked the future of work in a sense where now we're seeing a lot of different organizations completely rethink their business models and more importantly, rethink kind of like their purpose in the world and their mission um, and their culture. So I would love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we, I've had a couple of these conversations lately of just kind of what, what has changed and what will stick and then what's going to go back to normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, when things kind of clear up and, you know, I don't think things are going to clear up anytime soon, but you know, all of the companies that just said remote work will never work for me. We could never be distributed. Nobody would get anything done. Productivity will tank. Everybody will spend their entire day watching Netflix instead of getting any work done. Uh, you know, they've all been forced to do it, whether they like it or not and figure out mm. how to make it work. Um, and by and large, most of them are making it work quite well. Uh, and, and even, you know, old school businesses, I mean, we've, we're working with, uh, with a couple of different, uh, larger banks, investment banks. Um, and you know, these are guys that they never would have thought this would work for them and <laughs> it's working fine. Uh, so yeah. you know, I just, I think it's going to be tough to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, when things yeah. come down there now that a lot of people have proven that they can be productive and effective working from anywhere, it's just, you know, the idea of going back to a three hour commute in and out of Penn station doesn't sound, like cool, you know? Uh, so I, you know, I think that, you know, the, we've just seen a lot of traditional businesses be forced to wake up to, you know, the fact that you don't have to be sitting in an office to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to go back once things settle out. And I've had a lot of conversations with other CEOs of companies, our stage, uh, like we will have an office when this is all over with, but it's not going to look like the current office. It's mm. you know, right now we're 70 employees in the New York city office, 30 people kind of all over the world uh, with a bit of a, a, a hub in uh, Medellin, Colombia forming up. And, you know, I just don't think we're going back to 70 people in the office five days yeah. a week. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of seeing a, a a future workplace where it's more flexible. People have more agency in terms of where they choose to work. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And that's, you know, I just, we have always leaned heavily in that direction, but I think even mm. us, you know, we were, so we, most of the New York team, we would work in the office four days a week. Everybody worked from home on Tuesdays. Uh, so uh, just to get, you know, quite frankly, you just get a lot more done. Those days. <laughs> um and, you know, I think now that we're all working remotely five days a week, I live in New Jersey. It is literally an hour and a half door to door. Yeah. And, you know, so to get three hours of my day back, um, that goes a long way. And I feel like I'm doing my job just fine. So I don't know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> right. Being a remote CEO. And I think, you know, what's so interesting is like you mentioned the, the power of time. Right. I think this yeah. is to a degree, it's all a matter of giving people back their time in the sense. Right. Now that everyone realizes, well, I can be a full functioning member of society from home. And whether it be I'm working for a high tech company or insurance company or a, fi- or a fi- finance company, I can do incredibly well, but have more time to spend with my family and do the things that I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, the, in a normal week, I don't have the option of coaching kids basketball. Mm. during the middle of the week. If it's not on the weekend, I just can't guarantee that I can get back in time. So having the flexibility to mold my work around the rest of the, the rest of my life uh, is certainly, uh, certainly helpful. And, and I, you know, I like being in the office. I, I like the camaraderie. I like the energy. I don't like getting to and from the office. So, that, <laughs> you know, so I will, 
I will probably, you know, continue to go in one or two days a week at a minimum, uh, but just feeling more confident in giving myself and everyone else the flexibility to just do what they need to do. And, you know, we hire mature seasoned people who get their job done and I don't need to see them sitting at their desk to, to know that they're going to get their job done. I love that. I love that. Shout out to Raquel, who's viewing and tuning in from Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you, Raquel, who's a frequent live viewer. Shout out to Sybil, who is tuning in also from Oakland, California. I love that. Don from Florida. Hey, Don. Sayla from Tunisia, Tunisia, I believe. Shout out to you, Sayla. And Olubi from Texas and Joel from Ivory Coast. We want to get your thoughts. You know, how are you feeling about the transformation that we're seeing in the workplace now? You know, do you feel as if you're going to be working remotely for quite some time or do you think you're not? Let me get your thoughts in the comments below. You know what, Matt? I want to talk to you. You know, what are some of the, you know, leadership lessons that you've learned as a leader, as an executive leader? Because you've led some companies through a crisis, right? Whether it be internal or external. And even now with Skillshare, you know, Skillshare is still growing even through this downturn, right? Because e-learning is as important as ever. So I want to kind of get your thoughts. What are some leadership lessons you've received in your career? Yeah. I mean, I think the one, you know, one thing that comes to mind, particularly relevant to where we are right now is just how you measure whether or not people are, are get, getting their job done and how the company's yeah. performing. Um, and it's easy to you know, see, it's like, oh, that guy's always at his desk. He's always cranking. He's always there. He's there when I get in. He's there when I leave. That's yeah. not actually a great measure of whether or not people are, are doing a good job. Um, mm. And, you know, I think back to the earlier comments about productivity and working from home, the people who aren't product, who aren't productive working from home, they weren't productive in the office either. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we, we have moved to a model of um, using OKRs, the objectives and key results. You know, it's been sort of popularized by Google and others. Um, it's just a good way of measuring not only are we getting our jobs done as individuals, but just as a company and mm-hmm. having a consistent um, and, and uh, enduring benchmark that we're going after that we, we can always bring things back to. Um, and, you know, I think the, the other sort of, management lesson learned that certainly pays dividends in a time like now is just the communications. Like when mm-hmm. you look at all of the challenges companies go through when they go from, you know, 10 employees to 20 to 40 to 80 to 160, it ultimately boils down to communications. When you're 10 people all sitting in the same room, it's hard not to communicate. Yeah, You just, everything happens by osmosis. It's easy. It's natural. Um, you know, by the time you're hundred, like you have to say things again and again and again in different channels and different formats and different mm-hmm. ways. Um, the first CEO I worked for always used to say, you know, until people are making fun of you behind your back, you haven't said it enough. <laughs> um, and it's definitely true. I mean, like we do a, a weekly town hall on Fridays at noon and it's just a quick update on, all right, how's the business going? Key metrics, any interesting things we want to dive into, uh, it's, you know, 15 minutes, a couple shout outs, celebrate some wins, and then we're off, right? It's just mm-hmm. a nice end recap to the week. And then we send out the exact same content in a newsletter format two hours later. Wow. Um, you know, so it's just that repetition and making sure you're constantly staying in front of people with the key messages, what's important, where the priorities are, what the strategy is, what numbers we're worried about. It's just, it's hard to stay on it. But, you know, I think that's where building a team that, um, has seen how that communication needs to scale over time is, has certainly helped me. Yeah. So really the importance of one measuring the right things when it comes to employee engagement, it's not a matter of over 
really are people feeling fulfilled in their work, but also communication component, right? Like across multiple channels, whether it be through video, email, Slack, whatever you have as a company. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it takes all of them and it's, it's hard to feel like you're constantly repeating yourself. But, <laughs> but anyway, we'll go through, you know, we do a very um, sort of intense annual planning process. Yeah. And I feel like we have just hammered it home and hammered it home and hammered it home. Yeah. And then I'll sit down and, you know, in the lunch table and start chatting with somebody and it'll be like, none of it ever happened. So, <laughs> and that's not on them. That's on us. You know, as the yeah. team, we got to make sure that the messages get through. Now that's powerful. So shout out to Nyla who is tuning in. She is an e-learning as well. She is an LXD, LXD learning experience design instructor. And she is excited because we we're talking about her favorite thing. So shout out to you, Nyla. Nyla also is saying lots of people are productive right now because this is all incredibly traumatic too as well. You know, Amanda is saying she's tuning in from Illinois. She is a high school teacher and she never imagined working from home could be an option for educators. Anything is possible. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, my my wife is sitting on the other side of the table listening to this, so uh, she feels like she's an educator right now. Um, <laughs> because while I'm in here talking to you, she's chasing the kids down, trying to get them to stay on task. Um, but I, I mean, it really is. You know, again, like investment bankers, traders, like mm. people who just never thought this was possible, and teachers. I mean, mm. you know, I, I think what has been interesting is. You know, when I was talking to my eighth grader about um, just how quickly she gets done with her schoolwork. Mm. And, you know, she said, look, I, you know, normally you walk into class, you spend five to 10 minutes getting your books out, getting settled, everybody calming down. You learn for 30 minutes and then you start packing up and thinking about the next class. And then you spend mm. five, 10 minutes trying to get between classes. And she's like, just the amount of waste in a normal yeah. day versus now she can just sit down and plow through it. So, uh, you know, it makes me a little nervous about our educational system <laughs> uh, that, that she can be done by noon every day. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, it's like, the, again, there's just a lot of things that this crisis has forced us into doing differently that I think we're going to find some new models that actually work better and some of it will stick. Yeah, no, that's powerful. So Salah is saying from three years, I'm usually work from home two to three days per week, but to be obligated to work only from home, it's difficult. Shout out yeah. to you, Salah. Thank you for that comment. So, you know, let's dive deep on e-learning, right? And you, you were kind of just talking about how when our education system is probably going to change due to, you know, uh, COVID-19. I want to ask you, what are some trends you're noticing in the e-learning space right now? Mm. Yeah, so Skillshare, we are primarily focused on creative content, as you yeah. mentioned. So in a typical time, you know, design, illustration, uh, fine art, watercolor, photography are kind of our our more popular categories. I mean, the main shift we've seen lately is just a, you know, the classes who have a, uh, that, that have a heavier emphasis on sort of creative expression, stress relief, journaling, mental wellness, self-care, all of those topics have definitely seen a boost. Mm. Uh, so just, you know, the, the core content's the same, but there's a, a fairly obvious spin to the classes that are getting more attention than they normally would. Mm. Uh, so, you know, to the point that, uh, that one of your listeners made around kind of, you know, productivity. All right, great. I've, I've saved myself three hours of going back and forth, but we happen to be trying to get things done in the middle of a global pandemic that yeah. people down a bit. So, um, you know, I think the, um, the overall 
just tone of the content has shifted a bit, uh, even though the, the top level categories are the same. Um, mm. We've also seen a, a massive increase uh, in a lot of the usage of a lot of our community features. So we have all of our learning content, but we have workshops. You can take a series of classes as a group with other students. We wow. have uh, interest groups. Uh, people can upload projects and get feedback from other students and teachers. All of the community driven features, we've seen a, a significant boost in interaction because they're just, you know, people are looking for other ways to engage and communicate mm. and share. And, um, and so it's been, it's been fun to see how much value people are getting out of those, those parts of the platform. Yeah. You know, and similar to you, I, I believe now because of COVID-19, I think there's even more of a need for community, right? With yeah. e within the e-learning space, but I think across any business, right? I, I, I've loved how seeing how Airbnb has completely pivoted their platform mm -hmm. to, you know, supporting hosts who want to create videos. Um, now, but that's because they still want to be connect community. So I think it's community is one of those you know core um, values for any company. I think it stands throughout a, re a recession or a downturn or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, on our on the teacher side of things for us. I mean, we we have roughly six to seven thousand teachers, you know, earning money on the platform in any given month. Uh, and a lot wow. of the teachers are, they're freelancers, they run small agencies, they, you know, they do contract work and they've seen a lot of their, their day jobs dry up uh, wow. because of the, the financial impacts. Um, so to have a steady stream of income from their Skillshare classes, uh, we've seen a, a significant increase in the teacher community engagement, not lots of new classes coming out, new teachers joining the platform. So it's been it's been great to see that we can continue to add value in that way uh, during the crisis as well. That's powerful. So shout out to Nyla who's saying delivery is superseding is delivery is superseding quality of content right now. As soon as the public has a general understanding of adult learning methodologies, we have as professionals, quality will be key. I believe is what she's saying. Great comment, Nyla. So you know. I, I think for for me, you know, I'm I'm a huge on learning. I'm always learning. You know, I, I feel as if Skillshare's culture is big on that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, what I love about Skillshare's culture is like this this passion that you all have for creatives to make sure that they can get their ideas out there. And I want to ask you, what are some unique things to the culture of Skillshare that kind of are aligned with that? Yeah, I mean, we we talk a lot about just the overall focus on learning and continuing to develop and. Yeah, and it, it takes the form, you know, we, one entertaining thing we did uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a, a basically a Skillshare challenge of using our own products. And so we yeah. got in the teams and you got points for how many minutes you watched, how many projects you completed, sharing the projects, not just when you're done, but along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, once you, once you turn it into an internal competition, uh, it, it became uh, cutthroat and entertaining. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the end of it, you know, we had, we got to see everybody, you know, or a lot of people in the office create projects that you just wouldn't have, you know, they, they weren't expecting me to create a, <laughs> a botanical line drawing of a wreath, you know, like that, just, <laughs> that doesn't fit my day-to-day -day persona. Yeah. Uh, but again, like when else am I going to sit down and do that? Uh, so <laughs> we, we try to do those things. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time, just talking about different aspects of the business. Yeah. I want mm. working at Skillshare to feel like getting an MBA. Like I want, yeah. I don't care what team you're in. I want you to understand how our financials work, how our core yeah. metrics work, how financing works. You know, I teach a sort of an equity one-on-one 
lunch and learn just so wow. all of our employees really understand you know how options work what value they're getting how they vest you know that's just not something you spit out of undergrad being taught yeah. um, so there's a lot of different aspects of how we run our business that I want to make sure everybody understands um, you know ideally they can go on and you know create the next skillshare at some point. <laughs> but um, you know at a minimum yeah, I just want the. I think they'll make better day-to-day decisions if they understand just the mechanics of how our business runs and operates. That's powerful. You know, you as a CEO giving back and teaching and, uh, you know, adding value like that. You know, it's rare. Often CEOs don't do that. Well, and, and it's company-wide. I mean, we do yeah. a lot of lunch and learns. We have demo days. Um, the, you know, we've got some engineers that will go deep on topics. And, you know, it's mm. fine. It's just, you know, we've got some got some really smart people who, you know, have very deep understandings uh, of a lo- wide range of topics. And when one of them, uh, you know, one of our Friday town halls, a guy presented on salt. <laughs> he, he knows everything there is to know about salt. Uh, you know, and for him, like traditional table salt is the root of all evil. Uh, and he walked through in exquisite detail why he hates that kind of salt. You know, so it's just, it's definitely a core part of the culture. And given what we do, you know, we think it's very important. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know, I think one of the things that I'm noticing about Skillshare and, you know, any company right now is that if you aren't focused on the culture, the way, you know, you all are at Skillshare, you're going to lose your people, especially now when I think people still do have those options in the workforce. Mm-hmm of choosing who they want to work with and who they want to be associated with. But I think cultures like Skillshare that pride themselves on giving back to their people are the ones that are going to be successful. So kudos to you all um, for being amazing at that. Yeah, you know, and, and we talk about that a lot. I mean, in, in the recruiting process and in the onboarding process and beyond, you know, there's everybody in our company can walk down the street and make more money. You know, there's always a Google, yeah. there's a Spotify, there's a Facebook, there's somebody else out there who can, write a big check. Um, and so it's gotta yeah. be, we've got to have something else to sell and it's the culture, mm. it's the learning and development opportunities. It's the mission of the business. Um, you know, those are things that I don't think everyone else can deliver. You know, anybody can yeah. write a check, but I think those are the areas that we can compete with anyone on. And uh, I think it's helped us build a great team over the years. I love that. I love that, Matt. So, you know, I, I think Going off on, you know, the learning development offerings, you know, that Skillshare can uniquely share with um, your employees. I want us to kind of talk a little bit about how should leaders, right, who are working in companies that may not have invested in training and development, how should they be thinking about approaching and training and development for a remote workforce, right, Mm -hmm. where everyone is now a remote employee. So it's harder for you to be physically present and offer um, training and development services. Yeah, I mean, I would I would go to the lunch and learn model, but, you know, yeah. I look at the amount of really good content and really interesting insights that come from the employees. Uh, mm. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be involved. A 15 minute lunch and learn on, you know, some security protocol or a new framework or, yeah. you know, how we do X, Y, Z. It's just a great way for, you know, it, it of course helps everybody who's listening and, and taking in the information, but, it's also a great opportunity for the people teaching the class to show off what they know. And, you know, it's and for them to give back. It's, I think it's a, it's a good combination when the management can kind of step back and set up a framework for the team to educate and share amongst themselves with, you know, like if it's always top down, people hear from me enough. Like, <laughs> you know, they, 
they're more than happy to not have to listen to me. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think finding ways to bring other voices in and, yeah, that can be done via Zoom and, and Google Slides and it's simple and easy. And, you know, it, I think uh, there are a lot of creative, low cost ways for that information to get shared. Yeah. You know, what's so powerful about what you're saying, too, is, is, the, is this reality that you have the experts within your organization who yeah. are great at teaching. Right. You know, just give them the opportunity to teach, whether it be through video, documenting, but that that like internal knowledge reservoir that every company has. Take advantage of it. And I think yeah. for, for, you know, for us, even at Guy, we realize that from a, 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 a product standpoint, it's like every company has experts. Right. That can teach. <laughs> right. So why not take advantage of them? Yeah. And the, I mean, the other thing we've done when we, when we send people to outside training conferences, et cetera, yeah. part of the requirement, Hey, yeah, we'll pick up the tab, but take good notes. Cause when you come back, you're going to present, and wow. you're going to do, do a one hour session, you know, train the trainer um, and, and teach what you learned and what you took away and you know, what, what things you think are valuable to the rest of the team. And it's just a good way to, again, get that multiplier effect going. Yeah, that's powerful. Powerful. You know, Matt, I would thank you so much for being on the UTFOW A Guide podcast. You know, what are some of your parting lessons or words of wisdom for our amazing community who want to be more entrepreneurial or even want to build the next to go share? Yeah, um, you know, I think of uh, startup, it's kind of like acting. <laughs> you might be, you might end up as Brad Pitt or you might end up as extra number three at the bar. Um, you know, I think the, you know, a lot of people go into startups thinking that it's going to be fame and fortune. Mm. Um, and you just got to enjoy creating something because, yeah. uh, you know, it may, there may not be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, but for the people who just truly enjoy building a business and starting something and mm. being an entrepreneur and running their own show and dealing with all the day-to-day challenges, there are, there are more lucrative professions out there. Yeah. Um, you know, if I wanted money, I should have stayed in banking. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, I think for people who just like to build and explore and test and try new things, uh, it can be extremely rewarding, but you got to go into it with that mindset of you're mm. going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. And that's part of the fun of it. Always be prepared to pivot, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love pivot, it. Pivot is such a nice, uh, it's, it's a nicer word than failing and coming up with new ideas. But yeah, whatever we want to call it. It's so true. And I'm going to give the last word for today's episode to our lovely guest, William Cunningham, who says this unfortunate situation should provide an opportunity to deliver creative ways to support our teachers and enhance their curriculum to prepare, to better prepare our students for the future. Shout out to you, William. I love and with that said thank you all so much for tuning in today's episode of unleashing the future work a guy podcast with the lovely matt cooper matt you know is there anywhere where people can follow your work or more more importantly follow what skillshare is building yeah i mean please uh please come check us out at skillshare.com we've got uh, uh free trials for you to give it a give it a test run um and then uh you feel free to follow my blog on medium got some good startup content and, and tips and tricks of just how we run the business. So more, uh, plenty more there. And check out some of Matt's videos on YouTube. They're pretty awesome. He shares a lot of lessons um, that he's had at, at, at past keynotes and his blog is pretty awesome as well. With that said, you all, if you are interested in being a guest on the Alicia, the future of work podcast or sponsoring 
a future episode, please check out utfow.com, utfow.com. And Matt, thank you so much for finding time to be on today's episode. We truly appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. All right, see ya.